me ask you to turn your Bibles to Habakkuk. I just have to think if Habakkuk had been at this service, he wouldn't have been so down about everything. <laughs> well, not really, because of uh, the kinds of circumstances he was facing. One of my majors in college was uh, behavioral science. I don't even know if they have that major anymore, but it was uh, combined uh, three disciplines. Uh, it was psychology and sociology and philosophy. Now, in terms of uh, the, the philosophy portion, one of the, one of the big questions that uh, is asked by philosophers down through the centuries, and it's not just philosophers, but they, you know, they take time and they, they think about these things and, and come up with all, all kinds of ways to address them, but is uh, basically <coughs> uh, why, the question of why is there evil? If there is a God, and if he's good, and if he's powerful, all-powerful, why in the world is there evil? Here's how David Hume, who was an 18th century uh, philosopher, dealt with it. And there have been all kinds of, he, he didn't originate this, but uh, lots of versions of uh, his, his view of how to deal with that. He basically said this, uh, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he's malevolent. Evil. Is he both able and willing? Whence then is evil? Why is there evil then? So here's basically what, what he, was, he was saying. If God is good and wants to stop evil in the world but can't, then he must not be sovereign. He must not be all-powerful. If God is all-powerful but refuses to stop evil, then he must not be good. You get it? That's, that's really, in, in some sense, what Habakkuk was dealing with here. And on the surface, it seems to make sense saying, okay, well, then, then he either, he must not be one of those, but I'm not willing to accept that he's not one of those. And, and the problem with that view saying that he's either not good or not all-powerful is that if you say either one of those things, you have removed him from being the God that's revealed in the Bible. 
And that's, that's the problem. So some of this is what Habakkuk is grappling with. Not in those exact terms, but with the problem of evil in his world. Now, let's remember where we've been. We're going to read the scripture here in a minute, but just to remember what's come up to this point. Uh, Habakkuk is a record of uh, this prophet giving this oracle or sharing this burden and it, it's, it's very different from all the other prophets in this sense. He's not just sharing uh, a message through him to the people. He's actually kind of turned his face and he's talking to God and then sharing the message. So he's in this dialogue with God, and he begins that dialogue with uh, these questions that have to do with the behavior of God's people. He's saying, look, I, how long, two questions, how long and why, how long are you going to let them keep acting that way without dealing with them, and then Basically, the other question is, why, why are you sitting idly by? It's what it looks like from my seat, he would say. It looks like you're doing nothing. And I don't get it. And then God gives him an answer. Didn't have to. Any answer he would give him is an answer given by grace because God doesn't have to answer to any of his uh, creatures, any of his creation. But he chose to for Habakkuk and for those people and for us. But he didn't give Habakkuk the answer that he was hoping for. In fact, he says this, verse 5, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe if I told. So he's basically saying, okay, <clears throat> you think I'm sitting idly by? Far from it. In fact, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing and you won't believe it. And then he proceeds to tell them. He says, I am going to deal with the violence of my people. I'm going to make it so they are no longer a disobedient people in the way that they have been. And you think you've seen violence with them? You better fasten your seatbelt because you're about to really see some violence. And here's where you're going to see it. I'm going to raise up a group of people. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And they are going to swoop down on you and my people 
so hard and so fast that there's no point in you trying to run. It's too late. I've warned you, but it's too late to do anything. You won't be able to resist, and neither will anyone that's between them and you. And they will overtake you. That was God's answer. Habakkuk, amazingly, then answers back again to God. Let's read our text, beginning with verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net And makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I'll take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, this is just hard to hear. It's hard to read, but... But it's even harder when when we feel like we're living through that. And so thank you. Thank you that you have seen fit to record this. Thank you that when Habakkuk asked those questions, you didn't just wipe him out. You could have. He had no right to ask those questions. But you chose instead to to dialogue with him. It shows us what kind of God you are. Thank you for that. And now, Lord, will you teach us from this portion of your word? We ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So here is Habakkuk. What gave him the courage to answer back to God again? Or the desperation? So desperate to know. Let's take, take a look at some of these, these first things that he says back to him because basically he says, you are God my hope. And I think that should give us a hint right there that Habakkuk wasn't going to give up on him, on God, not very easily. He was willing to to wrestle with this rather than just to say, okay, throw up his hands and and just leave and say, if that's the way you're going to be, so be it. I'm done. And I'm sorry to say I've seen plenty of people during my ministry do it that way. It's heartbreaking. But Habakkuk couldn't have it that way. In fact, what he does is he kind of shows off his theology here. He's a pretty good theologian as a prophet. He has a good handle on the nature of God. Let's look at what he says to God Uh, Verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And by the way, this is is what we would call a rhetorical question. When there are rhetorical questions, especially in the Old Testament, the idea, you know, usually a rhetorical question would be me asking a question and not expecting anyone to answer and I'm pretty safe in our congregation, you know, on a Sunday morning at least. Uh, although a few times I've, you know, I've had somebody blurt out an answer and it throws me all off. And, but uh, the, the rhetorical questions that, uh, that the, the prophets tend to ask are this. That they're basically the one asking the question knows the answer and the one he's asking it too, already knows the answer. So he's, he's not, when he says, are you not from everlasting, he's not saying, tell me, are you from, you know, he's not really wondering that. He, he knows he's from everlasting, and God knows he's from everlasting. So this is a, 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 a literary um, usage of that kind of a question. So here's basically what he does. He's proclaiming about God. Are you not from everlasting? He's saying, God is eternal. You're eternal. And God, of course, would acknowledge that. Yes, I am. The reason you know that is because I told you I am. So he proclaims that he's eternal, no beginning, no end. And that's what eternal means when it comes to God. When we talk about eternal life, everlasting life, we're, we're thinking from now on. 
But with God, it goes both directions. He had no beginning. He has no end. So he's saying, I know you're that kind of a God. And then he says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. So here, he's, he's not trying to trick God. But we already know what his concerns are. His concerns are the, the sins of his people. And now he's about to be concerned. Well, wait a minute. How, how is that dealing with evil by bringing more evil over us? So that's what he's grappling with. So he says, you're holy. But notice he also says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. He's talking about a relationship here. He got it. He's he's not talking about that God out there, somewhere out there. But he's saying, "You're, You're mine, and I'm yours. But he's talking about a relationship that he he has with him. He's not just stating facts. It's not just a theology class. He's saying, this is how I know you. And then he says this, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. This is the Chaldeans, the Babylonians that are coming. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. So here's what he's saying when he says, we shall not die. He is establishing the hope of his people based upon who God is. And that's a right thing to do. Habakkuk admits that God is using the Babylonians as as an agent for punishment and reproof. Um, We'll see he's still not satisfied with that, but he does admit that, I I get it, I understand that's what you're doing, God. And then he says, verse 13, you are a purer eyes. We've looked at this in our previous sermons, but you're a purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? So this is the core of Habakkuk's problem. He knows what he knows about God, but it doesn't seem to fit with what he's seeing in his world and, and the way he has seen God act. Saying, I can I can't seem to put this together. And one of the reasons is, you know, he starts out by being upset about the sin of his people. He says, God, when are you going to do something about these people, how they're acting? And God says, yeah, I'm going to do something about them. I'm going to bring in the Babylonians to uh, judge them, to reprove them. I'm going to use them. And so what he's saying here is, wait a minute. The Babylonians are worse than we are. How's that work? Why would you do that? Why don't you just deal with our sin? 
And God is showing that the way he judges is always going to be right and it's always going to be best, but it may not be the way we would choose to see him work in this world. Now, I want to make a statement that I've, I've made before, and I told you I was going to make it several times during this series, and that is we should not judge God by looking at our circumstances. We must judge our circumstances by what we know of God. Now, I've been encouraged because some of you have indicated that you've, you've used that with other people. God has given you opportunities to use that. So do you get it? In other words, we shouldn't say, I don't like what's going on around here. I don't like what I see in the world. You must not be a very good God. But instead, we say, here's what I know about God. And, and that's what Habakkuk's doing. He says, I know you're holy. I know you're, you're eternal. You're from everlasting. You're holy. You're pure. And then he looks at his circumstances. But that's his dilemma. It, it leads him to state the problem again. Okay, God, I, I didn't like it at first when... It felt like you weren't doing anything. But I'm not liking the answer you gave me about this either. You know, you almost, I, I, I almost, I'm, I'm projecting on him, but I almost wonder if Habakkuk said, why did I ask that question in the first place? I should have just been okay with what was going on. Of course, this was all God's plan and his, his doing. So he restates the problem with what's about to go on now. Verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. So here's, here's what he's saying, and he's going to use several sentences. We're not going to go into these in any real depth. Uh, I just want you to get the overall feel for it. He's saying that God is letting man act like the lower forms of life in in verse 14, it's like the fish are crawling things that, that don't have anything over them. In other words, he said they're acting like these lower forms of life that just act on instinct. They, they aren't thinking. They aren't moral. They're just doing things to one another. And, you know, with the lower forms of life, we don't judge them. Yeah, we get it. That's how they treat one another. But, but that's how the Chaldeans are, are acting. And here's my problem, God. You raised up the Chaldeans. So how can that be? Verse 15, he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Here's why Habakkuk is struggling. Not only does God permit the wicked to have their way, he is responsible for their success. 
You see? It's not, it's not as, as though some people always want to defend God by saying, well, you know, he can't do anything. He, he's not going to intervene. Well, if he can't do anything, then we might as well quit praying right now. There's no point. No point in praying. No point in going to him. No point in talking to him, requesting of him, or even praising him if he is impotent. But he's not. So here are the Chaldeans. They were not a world power until God raised them up. And then he asks the question, verse 17, is he then going to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So basically, here's what he's doing. He's back to the first question, how long? But now he's not asking how long are God's people going to, to be let go in their unrighteousness? He's gotten the answer to that. He's now asking the question, how long are we going to be under this reproof, under this judgment? Is it going to be forever? And then he stops. Basically. Okay, that's it for me. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's dropping his mic. That's it. I got nothing else here. And so, he basically, and we're going to hit this, this next verse, but he says, that's all I have to say right now. Now, I want to give us several applications. The first thing I want us to note from this passage is this, that a negative answer didn't discourage Habakkuk from coming back to God. You get it? He heard what he absolutely didn't want to hear from God. You know what I think he probably wanted? Something like God saying, yes, I'm upset about my people's actions too, and I will give them a new heart and they will repent and, and so on. And, and Habakkuk would have said, that's all I'm asking but instead he heard something horrible that not only were uh, the disobedient people going to be judged and under this judgment, but so was he and so were the ones that were trying to be obedient. It wasn't an answer he wanted. He was honest with God and God was just as honest with him. but it was the exact opposite of what he wanted to hear. He was told that those crazy, violent Chaldeans were going to take over their land, and that would cause the violence that you, Habakkuk, are so concerned about, that would cause that violence to cease. Unfortunately, those people would experience a violence of a different kind even worse. So he didn't hear what he wanted to hear, but it doesn't cause him to give up on God. And he, he doesn't quit talking to him 
or he doesn't get mad at him, and Habakkuk doesn't accuse God. So that's one application there in terms of just um, there, there's, there's something here where the Spirit of God is working in Habakkuk's heart, and though he is really grappling with this, he's not going to give up because he didn't get the answer that he thought God should have given to him. And that leads us to a second application, and that is when difficult times come and you don't get the answer you think you want from God, how will you choose to respond? What are you going to do? We can't wait till we're in the middle of difficult times to decide. Some of you are there already. But if you're not, it's likely that at some point in your life, and it could be tomorrow, you will be there. And so it's, it's incumbent upon us to decide how will I respond to God when I don't get the answer that I think he should give me? Am I going to run and, and hide from God and his people? Am I going to pout? Am I going to give up? on his people, on the church, because I don't like what his answer was? Are you going to let your circumstances taint your view of God? Or tenaciously hold on to what you know about him and deal with your circumstances from that perspective? That's what Habakkuk is doing. And that's what he does when he stops and goes to the watchtower. And that's the third application. Chapter 2, verse 1. After he stopped talking, he said, I'll take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my uh, what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, a watchtower or watchpost was sometimes it was built out in a field over crops where somebody could guard the crops or watch how they're doing and and that kind of a thing. Sometimes it was out in a field, and sometimes it was actually a part of the the city or the the fortress, a rampart, so to speak. But in any case, he's basically saying, I'm going to remove myself from this dialogue for now. I'm going to take myself out from watching these circumstances and having people ask me what's going on and so on. And I'm going to take my stand at my watch post. He's saying, I've said enough. I need to hear from you now. And there comes that point. Maybe he said everything he knew to say. But at this point, he says, I'm going to station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. 
and what I'll answer concerning my complaint. Most commentators think that uh, Habakkuk is bracing himself for a rebuke. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's pure speculation. But maybe so. I think I'll go to the tower and wait for the answer, you know. And he, he kind of, I don't know if that was it. Uh, we don't know the answer to that. What I do know is that he is expecting an answer. He is awaiting expectantly. And he says, I'm going to station myself and wait and look out to see what you'll say to me. He has no doubt that God will answer him even if it is a rebuke. And he stands in faith. That's not inactivity. He's not just sitting back. He has been in a vigorous heartfelt, heartbreaking dialogue with God. It's an active faith. So what will you do? Run from your only hope or go to the watch post. Go to the high tower and listen for the king. Let's bow together. Lord, everyone in this room that has, has prayed over time has gotten answers that they, they weren't asking for. But I, for one, want to thank you for that. I, what a mess my life would be if you did everything I asked you to do. How messed up things would be because you know better Lord, will you help us when we are confronted by the answers that we don't want to hear, will you help us to cling to who you are? You are that loving Father who always does what's best for us as your children. We thank you for that. Help us to, to listen for you from the watch post. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.